As we sang that song that Brent led, Jesus Hold My Hand, you were singing here, but I was singing in a different place. I was taken back to when I was probably Tyler's age, maybe just a little older, and I was sitting in a different church, but in a pew, and I'm hearing my grandmother sing. And I can still hear in her voice the words, Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. And it brought me to a place where I'm reminded of of what we're going to talk about today and how precious it is and how beautiful it is to see faith in another person And how powerful it is when that faith is transferred from one person to another. When they see your faith and they are inspired by another. Grandma was a woman of faith. I can remember when uh, her daughters were each of them. Grandma was getting older and they were worried about her driving alone. And especially at night. Grandmother, that didn't bother her one bit. She continued to do it. And so the kids thought it would be good to get Grandma a cell phone. And they were trying to make all of these arguments. Just, Grandma, if you have car trouble, what if, you, if you're if you driving alone and you can't get to where you're going or you have to pull off and, and there's no one for many miles, what will you do? And they were bringing up all of these what-ifs and what-abouts and trying to get her to acquiesce and step into the 20th century. Grandmother, with the wisdom of the ages and that special kind of faith, just looked at her daughters with a twinkle in her eye and said, Where is your faith? I don't know why that set with me. I don't know why that was such a remarkable moment, but it reminded me that no matter whether it was Sunday or Monday, Grandmother had a faith in God that was very real. And when we came right down to it, she was not going to give up on that faith. Whether it was in worship collectively or whether it was living her life, she was living and walking by faith. This morning we start a new series called Overflow. And we are looking specifically at a text from the Bible. Those of you who like textual series, here we go. This is going to be Second Peter chapter 1. And, and I chose this because Peter is writing this letter, but the Peter who's writing this letter is a very different Peter than the one that we're introduced to way several chapters, several books ago in the Gospel of Matthew. That Peter there who writes these words here is way different from the young Peter we're introduced to here. He was called Cephas, affectionately, by Jesus. And when Jesus meets him, he was young and he was taking on, beginning to take on, so it seems, his father's business, the trade of being a fisherman. And then he decided to take a step in faith and follow a seemingly unknown Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And he he took his brother Andrew along with him. That young Peter was... Everything you would not want in a leader for a movement that would change the world. He was impetuous. He was brash. 
He, he stuck his foot in his mouth so often he had athlete's foot growing on his tonsils. But Peter had a relatability that you and I can identify with. When we're people who are not perfect, but who are trying to get there, who are trying to do our best that we know how. And yet Peter, uh, rather Jesus, saw Peter not as the young, impetuous, brash, loquacious young man that he was. But he saw him as a rock. In Matthew chapter 16, he would later say, I tell you that you're a Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He wasn't talking about building the church on Peter, don't misunderstand. But the, in, the, in the original language there, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, the Petra, the, the small stone, but upon this rock, the, the big, the confession of faith, what was it that Peter said? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was not a perfect man by any means. He made the wrong mistakes many times. But he had faith that was real. And Jesus said it's that kind of faith that's going to be foundational in the church that I've called you to lead along with the other apostles. The Peter who writes in Second Peter chapter 1 is the same person, but he's a different man. Nearly three decades later, he's older. His skin has more wrinkles in it. He has the wisdom of time. His hair is no doubt grayer and perhaps even his beard. He looks back three decades earlier at the young Peter and just winces and wondered how Jesus could love him so and be patient. Oh, make no mistake, Peter is still very much a lion, but now he has wisdom, experience, and mostly he's grown in faith. He has the same power. He has the same zeal that I'm convinced that Jesus loved. But all of that power, all of that energy, all of that enthusiasm is now harnessed under the yoke of Jesus. And Peter, as he writes this letter, as some uh, say that it's likely that he's writing this letter from prison or under house arrest. It's the last time we'll hear from Peter in the scriptures. And this letter, as Peter considers no doubt where Jesus has led him over the past three decades, and thinking about his own life, Peter now calls us to think about our lives. He writes a letter to a church that will not just exist back in the first century, but will exist down through all centuries until Jesus finally returns. His faith was the same kind of faith, came from the same root of faith that my grandmother had, that I now share, that I hope to be able to pass on to my children and their children. Faith is important. If we turn to Second Peter chapter 1, or if you're in your Bible, it's page 1204 in the Pew Bible. As we read along, this is our key text, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those through who through righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received. Look what he says here. Look what he writes. Think about the way the words, the hand with which he writes this, who have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God And of Jesus Christ, our Lord, his 
divine power has given us everything we need. Did you catch that? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may partake, uh, participate rather in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Peter, in writing about his life, is going to write about the qualities of a life lived under Jesus. And so here in the next few verses we're going to cover over the next several weeks, we're going to take one quality at a time. And the first quality that Peter mentions in the list has already been mentioned twice. The first quality in Peter's list, the first thing that he mentions is this, faith. Peter writes to those who have received a promise as precious as ours. The word precious there meaning valuable, deeply significant, important. Uh, many years ago, I wrote a bulletin article. And in that bulletin article, I said something about my precious wife, Christy. And then since that point forward, Steve Tandy, who's the nickname king, has called my wife PC, which stands for Precious Christy. She's important to me. She's valuable to me. She is my rock and my center. If I lose everything else, I need her the most. Precious. Peter uses that word here to talk about faith. Now, you have to understand, think about Peter's faith. Peter's faith had grown from, from, that, from that young, brash fisherman who didn't know anything. He wasn't cut out to be a rabbi, certainly not a rabbi student. And Jesus calls him to step out of the boat, not a boat that was on the water, but a boat that was being prepared to go on the water, to leave that boat, to leave that business, and to step out with his brother Andrew and follow Jesus Christ. That took faith. It was a small step of faith, but it took it. Peter had to have a, had a sense of adventure, a, chance, a sense of childlike spirit to be willing to trust in one who believed in him. It was the kind of faith that would cause Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water. The only human feet besides Jesus's that ever walked on the water. It was that kind of faith which after the very public humiliation and crucifixion of his teacher and Lord just days earlier. As the disciples went into the hiding, some of the apostles chose to go back and fish. They were out on the water when they hear a voice from the shore that sounds awfully familiar. Friends, have you caught any fish? And Peter's like, I know that. That sounds like one of the rabbi's tricks. That sounds like the rabbi's voice. And, and he, he notices on the shore, and he doesn't even, that, that impetuousness, that, that, that courage, he doesn't even wait for them to row the boat to the shore. He jumps out, cloak and all, into the water, and swims with everything he has toward Jesus. He didn't know how he did it, but he has faith that Jesus is alive, though he just watched him kill. 
It's the same faith that will take Peter, according to church tradition, to being crucified, perhaps not even long after he's written these words. And tradition says that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he counted himself not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. That's powerful faith. How did Peter get from there to there? Well, let me tell you, it was not a straight line. You and I tend to think linearly, right? I mean, uh, I'll admit, I'm a person who kind of loves to crunch numbers and plan out into the future. And, I, you know, look at my retirement accounts and I go, well, if I have this amount now and the annual compounding interest rate is then, and I invest this much over X number of years, that by the end of X number of years, I should have this amount. That's all great if everything goes in a straight line. But as we know, the market does not, Tend to go in a straight line. And Jesus, or Peter rather, could have very much looked and said, well, if I have this much faith in Jesus and I invest this much more faith over X number of years, then by the time I write this letter, I should be a great hero of faith. But understand in the same way, your lives and Peter's life did not move in a straight line. It's like a lot of ups and downs, like a really bad roller coaster. And, and Jesus is going to use him and to grow him and to mature him through all of those. I need not remind you that very early in the morning on the day Jesus was crucified, his closest friend, the one who just weeks ago had whispered into his ear, Lord, never, this will never happen to you. And even if everyone else falls away, I will not fall away. And yet, here he is, the morning... That his Lord will be crucified, denying him not once, not twice, but three times. Wow. I wonder if Peter thought he could ever come back from that. So let's think about what faith means and what it means for us this morning. First, faith simply means to trust God. Hebrews chapter 11 says, now faith is being... Sure of what we hope for. One translation says it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But but we need to understand that faith is not just believing in God. Understand, even the devil believes in God and he trembles. But he has chosen not to yield to him. Faith is trusting God. Hebrews 11.6, if we go on down just a few verses, Hebrews 11.6 goes on to define the, the famous definition of faith by saying, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't matter how much good you do, how, much, how many times you're at church, how, how often you give, how many ministries you're involved in. If you don't have faith, The writer of Hebrews says it's impossible for you to be pleasing to God because without faith, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, The camera is going to have to track with me here. Um, I'm going to pick on my prayer pal, Jace Nelson. Jace, go ahead and stand up, buddy. He stands up reluctantly. Come here, come here, come here, come here. For those of you who don't know, today is Jace's 15th birthday. And so my present to him is to use him as an object illustration in my sermon. 
Jace, you and I have been prayer pals for what, two, three years now? Okay. Do you trust me? Absolutely. A hundred percent. You sure? Okay. I want to take you over here. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, just stand right there, in just a minute, is to walk over where I am. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to be there to hold your hand. I'm just going to ask you to walk from here to there. Now, knowing what I've asked you to do, do you think you're able to do that? I believe you think you are. But remember our verse, Jace. Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. Happy birthday to you. We good? I want to make sure you can breathe. I just want to make sure you can't see. Can you hear my voice? Now, knowing what I've asked you to do, do you still think that you can walk from where you are to where I am? Let me ask you to do one more thing. I want you to spin around. Okay, stop. Now, knowing what I've asked you to do, do you think you can still do what I've asked? Jace, I'm going to ask you to trust me, and I'm going to ask that you listen to my voice. I'm going to ask that you very clearly follow every instruction to the letter. Do not deviate from the instructions. Listen to my voice. Don't listen to anyone else's voices or the snickering of your friends in the youth group section. You ready? All right. Jace, I want you to turn 180 degrees from where you are. I want you, to, Jace, to turn just one step to your right. I want you to turn a half a step to your left. <laughs> Jace, take one giant step forward. Jace, take a second giant step forward. Jace, take a third step forward. Jace, take a fourth giant step forward. (laughs) He's smart. He's been my prayer pal long enough. All right, Jace. Now, I want you to take one more medium step forward. And I want you to take one small step forward. Now, I want you to do one more thing for me. Do you trust me? All right. I want you to turn about, turn around 180 degrees. Now, Jace, what I want you to do is put your arms forward. I want you to keep them there. I don't want you to move them. Jace, do you trust me? All right. What I want you to do is sit. <laughs> your mama needs to train you how to sit. 
You can take off the blindfold. Thank you, Jace. Now, you and I have the luxury of sitting and watching Jace. Just as through the scriptures, we had the luxury of watching Peter. But you and I both know it's a far different thing to sit where you're sitting and watch someone else walk by faith. It takes courage to do that because faith is the conviction of things not Seen. You see, Peter at least had the advantage, at least for a time in his life, when he could see Jesus, when he could hear Jesus. But there was a time when Jesus went away. And don't you see the reaction of the apostles? What? Where you go? What? What is this all about? How in the world are we supposed to do this without you? In fact, while I ask Jace to go have a seat, a real seat this time, uh, in the, uh, want you to turn in the scriptures to John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1, is the moment when Jesus gives them the news that they are going to have to learn to walk without seeing him. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You see, that that's the only way that they would be able to continue to follow Jesus after Jesus was long gone. When they could not see him anymore, when they could not walk with him anymore, when they could not follow, when they could not ask questions directly, they were going to have to trust. And you and I have to do the same thing. The the verse that was read for us from Psalm chapter 37, trust in the Lord. It was an Old Testament promise that no doubt the disciples knew. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. You see, you and I do not have the advantage of knowing what's in front of us. Something's going to die. Did you hear what Brent said this this morning as we were going in worship? He said, maybe you've you've suffered a sickness. Maybe someone close to you has died. Maybe you are hoping for a job that does not seem to come. There are times in life when we do not know what tomorrow holds. And I can guarantee you in an audience of this size that for some of you this week will hold things that you are not expecting from where you sit today faith is trusting god you may not know what tomorrow holds but you can know who holds tomorrow that's important and that's what the element of faith is all about trusting in the lord and taking the next Right step. The thing is, the crazy thing is, it doesn't take a great deal of faith. In fact, Jesus compares faith to a very simple and yet small picture. It is a mustard seed. Raise your hands if you can see the mustard seed that I'm holding. Those of you raising your hands are liars. I can barely see this thing, and it's right here. Jesus gives us a picture about faith that is so important that I want to give it to you to pass out. I'm going to ask you to take one, okay? And when when it gets to the very back row, pass it to the next section. Take one, pass it down. When it gets to the end of the row, pass it to the row behind you. And this section, when you get to the back, bring it here and pass it forward, okay? Take one and pass it back. 
Take one and pass it back because you need to understand when Jesus says this in Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, it, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will move from here to there. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, when you get your mustard seed, you'll see very quickly how small it is. How unseeable it is. But you plant that mustard seed in the ground, it will produce something that takes over. Faith is the same way. It's so small you can hardly see it. It's What Jesus is saying here is that the amount of faith is inconsequential. The amount of faith is not important as much as what Do you have your faith in that matters? Big faith in a weak object is meaningless. And it is fatally inferior to small faith in a big object. You think about the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're not going to go through the story verse by verse, but it's a great example. 450 passionate prophets Screamed and cried out to Baal all day long and begged him to take care of what they had erected to him. But he would not answer. Elijah mocked them and said, perhaps he's sleeping, perhaps he's on a bathroom break. And they cried out all the more louder. They, were, they had a great deal of faith. But their faith was in something that had no power. On the positive side of it, Jesus would use a poor widow was just a single token, dropping it into the temple treasury. And he would say, this woman has great faith. We're still talking about her today. You understand the difference? Sometimes we read Hebrews chapter 11 and we think, man, I, I'm not like Abraham. I'm not like Noah. Boy, I'm not sure I could be like Jesus. Listen, it's not the amount of faith you have that matters. It's what you have the faith in that's important. Faith always impresses Jesus, whether it's a Roman centurion who who comes to Jesus and says, heal my daughter. And Jesus says, come on, let's go. And and the centurion says, no, 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 wait a second. I can tell you're a man under authority. I'm a man under authority. I have people under me. I know all you have to do is say the word and it'll be taken care of. And Jesus, the scriptures say that Jesus marvels at his faith. In fact, he says, I've not seen faith like that in all Israel. Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews, Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. There's a woman with a bleeding issue. It's a medical condition. She's had 12 years, no answers to the problem. She reaches out just hoping to take hold of the hem of Jesus' garment and touches it unbeknownst to him. The power comes out from him and heals her. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? The disciples are saying, what do you mean who touched you? You're the most popular guy in Galilee these days. What do you mean who touched you? He's still looking around. No, no, no. you got to imagine this woman's like, oh, man. And Jesus responds compassionately. And he says this. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. The thing that made Jesus stop and take notice was the people who trusted him enough to put their faith in him. 
Faith itself does not have power. We need to understand. It's simply the connection between you and the thing which does have the power. So my question is, once you begin to trust God, then you have to, are you doing the next thing? Are you beginning to learn to listen to God? Faith requires listening to God. Romans 10:17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Please do not go through this week and say, you know, I, I wish I could hear from God. I wish God would send me a message. I wish God would speak to me. While you sit there the entire time, the whole week, with your Bible closed. We must listen to God. And listening, you need to understand, is not just hearing. Is We understand we put a lot of technology to make it possible for you to hear me. And we've got this mic pack that I wear, and it runs a signal all the way up here that, that retrieves the sound waves coming out of my mouth. It transfers them back to this pack and sends it to the guys in the sound booth where they adjust it for better or for worse. They produce the sound that comes out of the speakers so that you can hear me. So it's possible now that I'm speaking and that you can hear me, but it's also possible now that I'm speaking and you're not listening. Is that possible? Sure. Even back in Jesus' day, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Isn't that a funny picture? Who has ears that doesn't listen? You'd be surprised. Just try raising children. You'll figure out. (laughs) They have ears, but they don't always hear. We can do the same thing with God. Here's the thing about listening to God. It requires, the word listen is simply the word silent, rearranged. Here's the thing. The thing about the word listen is, it's the word silent, rearranged. In order to hear God, we got to be able to listen to God, which is why we're taking up the September Grace Challenge. I'll take just a moment to listen. I don't know what, I wrote this article uh this week in the bulletin, and it was day number six when I wrote it, of going without social media. No Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter. I had the shakes for the first few hours. Okay, It's hard. But it's had a powerful effect because I'm no longer nearly as distracted. And I'm able to refocus that attention and my time, oh my goodness, the time on the Lord, on the Lord's word And I'm able to approach him and say, speak, Lord, or your servant is listening. It's about disconnecting from God. This is what the September Grace Challenge is all about. The September Grace Challenge is this digital detox, the disconnecting from social media so that we can reconnect fully with God, with God's word and with God's people. By the way, if you're taking the challenge... I'd love to hear about your experience. However, you can't send me a direct message on Facebook. You're going to have to text me or call me or old-fashioned email me. But if you're taking the challenge, I'd love to know how you're receiving it, what it's been like for you. And if you're not taking the challenge because you're just like, I just can't, I want to challenge you. I think you can. Just trust God and try listening to him. Try it for one week. And see how it goes. It's not too late. At some point, everyone in here will have to decide what Peter had to decide. Ultimately, it comes down to this one ultimate question, and that is this. Do you trust him? 
At some point, we have to decide whether we're going to trust God or not, to have faith in him or not, to follow him or not, to obey him or not. The scripture is clear, and Peter is well, just as well. Without faith, it's not possible to please God. This morning, I want to end by inviting you to follow Jesus. The scripture never says anything about inviting Jesus into your heart. It never says anything about saying a sinner's prayer. You won't find that in this book. What Jesus said himself was to believe in him and to be baptized. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, it comes down to this question. Will you trust him? Will you simply trust Jesus and do what he said to do? If you're ready to do that and you haven't yet done that, won't you meet myself and some of these shepherds down front this morning? Or if you have any other need where you've not been trusting in him and you'd like us to pray for you and with you, we'll be happy to do so. Whatever your need is, won't you trust him together as we stand and sing?